Lesson 2 for January 7 through to 13. The Holy Spirit working behind the scenes. Sabbath afternoon, January 7. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're opening your word again this week and we find in your word messages from you through the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit actually helps us understand what is written there, we pray that we may more fully understand you and your relationship and also the work of the Holy Spirit. Bless us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is John chapter 16 and verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Let's read that again, John sixteen fourteen. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit does not receive the same prominent attention in Scripture as do the Father and the Son. Nevertheless, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit was present at significant moments throughout sacred history. At the beginning of God's creation of his world, he was at work, but more in the background. He was active in the inspiration of God's prophets, thus playing a key role in the writing of God's word. He was also involved with the conception of Jesus Christ in Mary's womb. Yet he is not at the centre of the biblical record and we know amazingly little about him. He remains in the background and that's because his role is to advance the work of someone else in the Godhead, Jesus, the Son of God, and to give glory to God the Father. All this so that fallen human beings might be saved from the eternal death that sin would otherwise bring them. From the testimony of Scripture, we learn that the Holy Spirit willingly and gracefully accepts a supporting, helping, sustaining and equipping behind-the-scenes role. No matter whether it is in creation or redemption or mission, He does not seek to stand in the spotlight, regardless of of his crucial role. Sunday, January 8, The Elusiveness of the Holy Spirit. Question. Read John chapter 3, verses 3 through to 8, and Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 5 and 9. Why is the wind a fitting picture for the mysterious workings of the Holy Spirit? First of all, John chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who was born of the Spirit. And Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 5. 
Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And in verse 9, also he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. By comparing the Holy Spirit's actions to that of the wind, Jesus describes the Spirit's elusiveness. The movements of the wind have something mysterious about them. It is difficult to predict with exactness where the wind comes from and where the wind is going. Who hasn't at times been baffled by the sudden appearance of wind, seemingly out of nowhere? Yet we can learn to become somewhat familiar with the movements and patterns of the wind. In a similar manner, the Holy Spirit is active where He wills. No one can control Him. Yet we can know where He is active and at work. Just like the wind, the Holy Spirit is invisible, but can be most powerful. We, of course, can feel the presence of the wind and can only see its effect, even if we can't see the wind itself. From a light breeze to deadly blasts, wind can be a very powerful force. When the Holy Spirit is described as wind, his activity has been connected with the idea of bringing life to the dead. This assumes power to the highest potency, something that only God is capable of doing. How this is accomplished remains a mystery. God and His workings through the Holy Spirit are greater than what we can fully comprehend, as are so many things, both secular and sacred. This does not mean that we cannot know what the Holy Spirit accomplishes, but we have to acknowledge that the appropriate virtue in dealing with divine mysteries is humility. Humility appreciates the grandeur of God, recognises our creaturely limitations and accepts our need for divine revelation. Ellen White has aptly stated in Education, page 170, the mysteries of the Bible, so far from being an argument against it, are among the strongest evidences of its divine inspiration. If it contained no account of God but that which we could comprehend, if His greatness and majesty could be grasped by finite minds, then the Bible would not, as now, bear the unmistakable evidences of divinity. So, to finish today, what are some unseen forces in nature that can impact our lives? What should this teach us about the reality of unseen yet powerful influences in our world? Monday, January 9. The Holy Spirit at Creation The first major work of God on this planet was its creation. The Bible clearly mentions God in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and Jesus Christ in Colossians 1.16 and 17, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all 
things consist, as the creator of heaven and earth, and of all that in fact was made, as we also read in John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Yet the Bible also mentions the presence of the Holy Spirit in the work of creation. Question. Read Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 and Job 26.13, Job 33.4, Psalm 33.6, Psalm 104.29 and 30. What was the role of the Holy Spirit at creation? How is the Spirit of God related to the creation of life? First of all, Genesis 1 verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And Job 26.13. By his Spirit he adorned the heavens, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Job 33.4 reads, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 33 verse 6 reads, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And Psalm 104 verses 29 and 30, You hid your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. The creation story in Genesis 1 verse 2 mentions the presence of God's Spirit at creation. Job 26.13 and 33.4 and Psalm 104.29 and 30 and Psalm 33.6 support the active role of the Holy Spirit in the supernatural creation of the earth. While the Bible clearly mentions God the Father and His divine Son Jesus Christ as being active in the creation of the world, as uh, we read in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8, But now, O Lord, you are, far, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, and all we are the work of your hand. And Colossians 1.16, which we read earlier, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. The Holy Spirit is present also, though in a more subtle manner. He does not appear as the central actor in the creation story. Instead, he is hovering over the void, and through his moving he is present at the genesis of life on this earth. The Hebrew word for moving over or hovering, merahepeth, over the surface of the earth that is used in Genesis 1-2 is the same word that is used in Deuteronomy 33-11 where God is compared to an eagle hovering over its nest of young. The Holy Spirit is intimately involved in the creation of life on this earth and takes care of the newly created living beings as an eagle would do for its young. Psalm 104 verse 30 suggests that the creation act was possible only through the work of the Holy Spirit, and that he played an active part during this process. So, to finish today, the Holy Spirit was not only present at the creation of this world, 
he is also active in the process of our recreation, in which he gives us a new heart and new mind. How are both of these activities related? What does the Sabbath tell us about this work of creation and recreation? Tuesday, January 10, The Holy Spirit and the Sanctuary Exodus 25, verse 8 reads, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. After the act of creation, God's plan of salvation is of prime importance in the Bible. In a fallen world, what good would creation be without the plan of redemption? As sinners, we need not just a creator, but a redeemer. How thankful we should be that we have that Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Without Him, we would be without hope in a world that in and of itself offers us none. In the Old Testament, it was the sanctuary in its service that illustrated God's forgiveness of sin and foreshadowed the work of Jesus, our Redeemer. It was here that the plan of salvation was revealed to the ancient Israelites, as we read in Hebrews 4 verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. While much of the sanctuary service pointed to Jesus and his death for the forgiveness of sin, the Holy Spirit is depicted as being actively involved by enabling specific people to build the sanctuary according to the pattern God had revealed to Moses. Question. Read Exodus chapter 31 verses 1 through to 5. How was the Holy Spirit involved in the building of the sanctuary? How did the Holy Spirit assist those who constructed God's dwelling place? Exodus 31, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of of workmanship. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit was also present at the building of the sanctuary, the central place where reconciliation between God and human beings took place, and a holy God met sinners. It was God who communicated to Moses his plan to build the earthly sanctuary according to the heavenly original. We read about that in Exodus 25 verse 9. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And verse 40. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. The sanctuary was God's model to illustrate his plan of salvation. God was going to dwell amid his people in a special way, and he was going to do it in the sanctuary which he told them to build. And it was the work of the Holy Spirit to enable human beings to accomplish with artistic skill and with beauty what God told them to do. 
Without his help, Israel would not have been able to accomplish this artistic craftsmanship. And so to finish today, considering the power of the Holy Spirit, he certainly didn't need human help in building the sanctuary. Instead, he enabled other people to do it with skill and beauty. How and where can you encourage and assist other people to use their talents to further the kingdom of God to God's glory? Wednesday, January 11, the Holy Spirit in glorifying Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was active during Old Testament times, though it does not appear that his work was as extensive as in the New Testament era. With the coming of Jesus, the promised Messiah, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is intensified, and he gives his gifts to all believers. While the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit is active in many different ways in our spiritual lives and in the life of the Church, His most important work is to glorify Jesus Christ. Question. Read John 16, verses 13 and 14, and chapter 15, verse 26. What does Jesus say is the work of the Holy Spirit? How is all other work of the Holy Spirit related to this central work? First of all, John 16, verses 13 and 14. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit speaks not of himself, but of Jesus. His work consists in elevating the redemptive work of Jesus. He keeps himself in the background and puts the floodlight on Jesus. It has been aptly said by J.I. Packer in Keep in Step with the Spirit, Finding Fullness in Our Walk with God, pages 57 and 58, the Spirit's message to us is never, Look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at him. See his glory, listen to him and hear his word, go to him and have life, get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. The Spirit, we might say, is the matchmaker, the celestial marriage broker, whose role it is to bring us and Christ together and ensure that we stay together. End of quote. This is highly significant. Any emphasis upon the work of the Holy Spirit that detracts from the person and work of Jesus Christ is not from the Holy Spirit. As important as the Holy Spirit is for spiritual life, he should never take the place that is due in our thinking and for our salvation only to Jesus Christ. Whenever Jesus is exalted, the Holy Spirit is at work. This is why we are called Christians, that is, followers of Christ, rather than Numians, that is, followers of the Spirit, 
Let's look at Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So to finish today, why is it so important for us to uplift the risen Lord in all that we do? After all, think about what Jesus has done for us. We owe everything to him. How can we show our gratitude? Well, we could have a look at Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thursday, January 12, The Holy Spirit and Christ The Holy Spirit affected the incarnation of Jesus, as we read in Luke 1, 34 and 35. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. He anointed Jesus for his mission as well. In Luke three twenty-one and 22, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. The anointing of Jesus endued him with power to fulfill his messianic mission and qualified him to bestow the Holy Spirit on his disciples. The Holy Spirit guided and sustained Jesus in his temptations. As we read in Mark 1.12, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And Luke 4 verses 1, 2 and 14, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for forty days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And verse 14, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. This happened so that Jesus, as it says in Hebrews 2.18, is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus for his redemptive work and made Jesus' resurrection possible. We'll have a look at Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, 
but made alive by the Spirit. In all this, the Holy Spirit remained in the background and helped to bring Jesus Christ to prominence. Question. Read Luke 22, verses 44 to 49, and Galatians 5, 16 to 23, and Ephesians 4, 23 to 24. What do we learn about the work of the Holy Spirit in these passages? How does the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus? Luke 24, beginning at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding, that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Galatians five sixteen to 23 reads, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in at least the following ways. 1. By teaching about Him in the Holy Scriptures in a trustworthy and reliable manner. Nothing that is necessary for us to know about Christ and His salvation is misleading or missing. It's all there in the Word of God, if we would but read it in faith and submission. 2. By drawing men and women into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gently works on people's hearts and minds. He gives them understanding so that they understand spiritual things and so that they will be willing to place their trust in Jesus Christ and accept Him as their leader and redeemer. 3. By reproducing Christ's character in us. He thus brings to life Christ-like virtues in our lives as we read in Galatians five, twenty-two and 23. Through the blood of Jesus, we are given victory over sin, and the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in faithfulness to God's commandments. 
Let's read Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. For, by enabling us to live a Christ-like, selfless and loving life of service to others, he calls men and women into specific lines of work for God and enables us to reach out to others in the attractive spirit of Christ. And so to finish today, a question. How does the work of reproducing the character of Christ in our lives bring glory to the Father? Friday, January 13 No question, the work of the Holy Spirit is crucial to our walk with the Lord. Again, we might not be able to see Him work, but we can see the effect of His work in our lives and in the lives of others. If your life has been changed through faith in Jesus Christ, it has been changed only through the work of the Holy Spirit in it. As Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 173, While the wind is itself invisible, it produces effects that are seen and felt. So the work of the Spirit upon the soul will reveal itself in every act of him who has felt its saving power. When the Spirit of God takes possession of the heart, it transforms the life. Sinful thoughts are put away, evil deeds are renounced, love, humility and peace take the place of anger, envy and strife. Joy takes the place of sadness, and the countenance reflects the light of heaven. End of quote. These are wonderful promises, and an untold number of lives have shown just how real they are. But the work of the Holy Spirit is not instantaneous. We don't automatically become the kind of people we ought to be. A life of faith and submission to the Lord is a life of struggle, of surrender, and of repentance when we fail. The Holy Spirit is the divine agent that works in our lives to make us new creatures in Christ. This is, though, the work of a lifetime. Though our faults and weaknesses should spur us on to a greater surrender to our Lord, we must not let the devil use them to discourage us in our Christian life, which he is always eager to do. When taunted by our sins, we must always remember the death of Jesus on behalf of sinners. It's precisely because we are what we are, sinners in need of grace, that Jesus died for us and gives us that grace. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. What can the Holy Spirit's example teach you about ministering from behind the scenes, that is, doing the work of the Lord in a manner that many people don't know about, see, or even appreciate? Two, How can the Holy Spirit elevate Jesus and put him into focus? How can you elevate Jesus without putting yourself at the centre of attention? Why is that sometimes so hard to do? How can we fight the natural inclination to self-promotion? Inside Story
Our mission story this week is titled A Gift in the Forest, Part 2. The Polish Union decided to rent the camp and soon a truck from Denmark arrived filled with military surplus beds and dresses and kitchen supplies. The Union stepped out in faith and started holding camps at Zatoni. Richard went to the local village council and explained that the church wanted the campsite to train children and youth to be good citizens. He reported on how the church already had used the camp to benefit children from a coal mining region and children whose homes had been destroyed when recent flooding occurred. He explained the purpose of Pathfinder camps and youth camps. Then he asked the council to consider giving the camp to the Seventh-day Adventist church. One member of the local council objected, but in the end, the council voted overwhelmingly to give Camp Zatoni to the Adventist Church. A gift from Adventists in Britain paid for the buildings, which were privately owned. God had spoken. Besides summer camps for youth, the campground hosts Poland's annual camp meeting. Hundreds of people who are not Adventists come to this camp, and many leave having turned their lives over to Jesus. Children are encouraged to bring non-Adventist friends to camp, and some of these young people have decided to follow Jesus. Literature evangelists use the camp as a training site for coal porters who practice their sales skills in the villages around Zatoni. When Richard first found Zatoni, he noticed some words written on a building. God doesn't exist. Two years later, during a camp meeting, he asked the youth what should be done with the graffiti. A young man stood and said that he had written those words in 1989 while at a camp for troubled teenagers. When he returned home, he learned that one of his friends had become an Adventist. The friend invited him to church, and in time he too gave his life to Christ. God took away his desire to drink and smoke, and made him into a new person. So this young man, who had written the words against God on the wall during a drunken act of rebellion, helped to paint over them as a brother in Christ. In 2010, part of your 13th Sabbath offering went to renovate the buildings at Camp Zatoni. Part of this quarter's offering will fund live television productions aimed specifically at children and youth on Hope Channel, Poland. Thank you for your support through the 13th Sabbath offering. Richard Jankowski is now the president of the West Polish Conference. He was the Polish youth director when Zatoni's story unfolded. This lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.